This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. We've reached the end of another busy week here in Chicago, and it's time to take a moment to catch up on the news and go behind the headlines with local journalists working on the biggest stories. City leaders sounded the alarm as migrants continue to arrive in Chicago. Chicago declares a state of emergency over the migrant crisis. In fact, new arrivals coming late tonight as the mayor says more money is needed to handle the growing problem. The declaration comes as a COVID-era immigration policy ends. The U.S. Border Patrol has been reporting record numbers of crossings ahead of the end of Title 42. And outgoing Mayor Lori Lightfoot gave her farewell. In her first major public remark since her concession speech in February, Lightfoot said her legacy is one of progress, reform and equity. We'll cover that and much more, but I can't do it alone. So here to help us make sense of these stories is WTTW political correspondent Amanda Vinicky, Chicago Tribune state government reporter Dan Petrella. And joining us for the first time on The Recap is Ramana Hussein, editorial board member and columnist at the Chicago Sun-Times. We're going to start with a humanitarian crisis that looks like it may get worse. Dan, you have been reporting on the migrants arriving in Chicago from Texas. So tell us, what's the current situation? Yes. So on Tuesday, Mayor Lightfoot, uh, less than a week before she's set to leave office, declared a state of emergency in Chicago, uh, basically saying the city has reached a breaking point in its ability to um, provide shelter and services for the migrants who are arriving from Texas, many of them bussed here by Texas Governor Greg Abbott and what critics are calling a you know political stunt. Um, the counter of that is that uh, Governor Abbott and others say that, you know, cities like Chicago have declared themselves welcoming to immigrants. And so um, they're sending people to places that they're welcome where they want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, this declaration uh, would allow the city to make some emergency purchases, possibly request assistance from the Illinois National Guard, uh, which they have not done and would be a relatively uh, expensive option, from my understanding, for dealing with uh, dealing with the crisis. So this um, this state of emergency, Dan, it, it comes with federal money? Um, there's no federal money at this point because there's no federal state of emergency. So that's part of the issue why it would also be expensive uh, if the governor were to activate the guard because there's no federal money coming in to help the state pay for that. So it would be the state footing the bill mm-hmm. um, to to you know pay members of the guard to provide these services in the city. Right. Which comes as there is pressure from the Lightfoot administration for the state to step up and give more. Yeah. The Pritzker administration has said, we did that. We gave yep. you some. And there is, as ever, this tension between some of the downstate communities, the other cities that say, hey, wait, why should more be going to Chicago? I mean, so there's, there's constant tension when you have limited money. That's something that I'm guessing is going to come up often throughout our next hour together. Yep. Yes. But that, that is part of it. I do think in addition to the funding, though, what this whole crisis highlights is so much. Um, there's the humanitarian aspect, but then there's also just the failure, frankly, of the federal government for years to do any 
anything about what is widely known, no matter what side of the debate you are on, uh, an immigration situation that has not been dealt with. It Mm -hmm. has been pushed to the side. It has been used as a political volleyball, and it has not been dealt with in any real capacity, which is what leads to the crisis both on the border of Mexico and Texas, as well as now in cities like Chicago and New York. And not to mention, oh, sorry, I was just going to say on the funding side, um, the state officials are saying that the city has not even sent them receipts to get reimbursement for the money that has already been allocated to the city. Um, So they're asking for more when they haven't even gone through the process of. Yeah, um, apparently there's um, they have 30 million right now that's available and they're saying that the city has not turned in any sort of invoices. So that's one of the things there's um, Byron Sixto Lopez, the alderman, was saying that there's like a breakdown between the state and city officials. Mm -hmm. And I think that the city, I mean, as Amanda mentioned, this is definitely a national crisis. But I think on a local level, I think the state and city officials need to get their acts together and start communicating. Mm. Well, pandemic border restrictions known as Title 42 ended yesterday. Are we now facing, Ramana, the, the possibility of even more migrants coming into the U.S. and then possibly, of course, coming to Chicago? I think so. I think I think this is going to be I think we're going to see the summer. I think we're going to see a surge. I mean, I feel like every day. I mean, I think the last number we had, at least at, with the Sun-Times, was eighty five hundred. And it seems like we're getting more and more every day. So I think this crisis is going to get worse as the summer goes on, especially with the weather being warmer. I think there's just going to be more people sent over. So I think this isn't something that's going to go away anytime soon. Yeah. And I'll add, too, that this adds political pressure as we For are sure. entering a presidential election season. Yeah, that's right. Because you are facing a, a president who has progressives that want the nation to be more welcoming. You've already seen pushback, for example, from Congressman um, Jesus Chuy Garcia to sending more troops down to the border and the Biden approach. So, uh, again, humanitarian crisis, but at all levels, these these political hits are going to keep on coming sure. as the as the people keep on coming because then the pressure rises too. And on the state level, it comes at a time when the state's budget is getting tighter than mm-hmm. it has been in the past couple of years. Um, and so state officials are saying, look, we don't have a lot of extra resources to to devote to this issue. Yeah. A city council committee has given initial approval for fifty one million dollars for migrant assistance, Dan. Uh, but that still needs full city council approval. That's right. And that's, you know, caused some um, pushback from aldermen in other parts of the city, um, particularly some predominantly African-American neighborhoods on the on the south and west sides, saying that those resources could be spent to help people who live in the city already who also have uh, great needs that need to be taken care of. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, we're going behind the headlines in the weekly news recap with WTTW's Amanda Vinicky, Ramana Hussein of the Chicago Sun-Times, and Dan Petrella of the Chicago Tribune. A reminder, you can watch the weekly news recap live right now. We're on WBEZ's Facebook and YouTube pages. You can leave us a comment or question. Talk to us in that YouTube chat box, and I may just read what you have to say about these stories on the air. Uh, so the the city is awaiting more federal funding here, but, but uh, neighbors and an alderman in Pilsen, they're taking things into their own hands, Dan. What's going on there? That's right. Alderman Byron, Byron Sucho Lopez um, worked with a local property owner there in Pilsen to find some vacant commercial space where they could house some people who um, there just isn't room for anymore in the local police station where many people have been staying um, in different parts of the city throughout this crisis. So I think, you know, that's one sign that people are starting to find different options for uh, where people can stay when they arrive in the city. But again, it, it goes back to the lack of a coordinated response from the city, from the state, and from the federal government. Yeah, and you brought this up, uh, Ramana. The, the 25th Ward alderman is 
criticizing what he sees as a, a lack of coordination between the city and the state over some unused hospital beds. Give yeah, the yeah. There. So um, the Sun-Times had a story today. Uh, Frank Main and Tina Svandelis, uh, two of my colleagues, did a story today. So during the pandemic, as we recall, the McCormick Place was set up as an emergency uh, hospital, uh, I guess, set up. And then there was about... Uh, couple there's about 1200 beds and that 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 place by the way was never used because our hospitals were able to accommodate all the individuals that were mm-hmm. affected um with COVID-19 what happened is that there was all these beds there and there's about over 1200 beds currently in a warehouse right now that the state owns the city took about 126 beds but they're not using the beds to be fair um we don't have space for a lot of these individuals who are coming in so I mean, it's very sad that people are sleeping yeah. on, you know, the floors of a police station. So the city is using using cots for at the facilities they're having right now. So it probably would be hard to use the beds. But there is a question of like, you know, has the city looked into this and like, you know, maybe, you know, and, you know, there's been questions about whether McCormick Place can be used as a facility to house or the migrants. Navy That's something that Alderman yeah. uh, Maria Haddon had had proposed, Navy Pier or um you know, the McCormick place. So, But Mayor it, Lightfoot's saying that it, w- it wouldn't make sense. Yeah, it wouldn't make sense with things happening here. But um, I think it's a good question about, like, what has, has the city looked into these things? I, I think the, the question for me was more like, are they looking into other things that could be done with the state? The beds... I can understand it's, they're a little bulky and they can't fit in a police station. It's yeah. already, you know, it's already crazy that people are sleeping in a police station. They shouldn't be sleeping on floors. They should be sleeping on cots. But the question is, like, could you fit a bed into there? And um, I know this is something we're going to touch upon, too. There's like very, you know, this situation has also brought up inequities and problems that, you know, we've been facing in Chicago for years. Mm-hmm. And you For know, sure. there's some people that don't want the migrants. Oh yeah, there, there are in, folks in in their in their towns because some folks in, have taken a really not in my backyard. Yes. approach and, to this. And, yeah, and that and, and that Taking brings legal up a lot of issues to say that not in my backyard. Yes. Not in my backyard. Yeah. Literally, residents of South Shore have yeah. filed suit seeking a temporary restraining order to prevent a school from mm-hmm. being used as a migrant shelter, a place that perhaps bed there would be room for beds for sure. in. It's a va- sure. it's a vacant building, but the, um, it raises somewhat alluding to what Dan had just raised the issue of hey, wait a second, we why are you bringing people into an already under resourced area that might strain further resources? Um, and they are saying this should be places that are maybe perhaps more culturally in tune with residents who are coming in from Latin American countries. There, there is so much um, that yeah. I, I think just pushback, and it yeah. shows that, that the tensions that you see in a city where you have just such a diverse array of life experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We sure. uh, saw in the editorial from the, the Sun-Times, uh, Ramana, uh, the, the town hall meeting uh, that was opposing that uh, shuttered high school being used for, for migrant housing. Residents were shouting, we don't want them here. And someone was holding up a sign that said, build the wall. Yeah. And and, and that's very unfortunate. And, you know, we always talk about um, the tensions between the black and brown communities in Chicago. Um, and, you know, you think about what the Trump leadership and the Trump presidency, that's kind of heightened you know, they've kind of fed into this, like, oh, these immigrants are coming here and taking your jobs away. And so, uh, I mean, me personally, I thought some of the things that were said, like it wasn't an audience, you know, you it's something that you would hear at a Trump rally. Um, you know, mm. people saying like, you know, I think they 
I think the city officials started talking about what the plan was. And then as soon as they did, people are like, we don't want them here. We don't care. You know, build a wall, close the borders. And, and, And you know what? To be fair, not everybody in the crowd was like that. I think the people, the yes. the people who were the loudest ones, the one the ones who took over. There was someone at that um, at that meeting last week that ripped up the sign that said "build yeah. a wall." And some, you know, some people have been really welcoming. Right? Yes, some, some yes. And, and so, really and, and I I totally understand the um, the questions people have. But I think, um, you know, if the school's not being used, I, I think that it could be eventually used for that community. But mm. let's use it as a temporary housing situation well, but you know obviously with the lawsuit and the res- the temporary restraining order i don't think we'll see it anytime soon well uh, here's a question from one of our friends watching us on youtube right now jp paula says have any of the suburbs especially those who voted progressive offered to help migrants can anything in richer neighborhoods be used temporarily such as empty stores in the water tower so I, I think that you did have, for example, in in earlier wave of migrants coming to this area, some suburbs. And in fact, there was a, a bit of controversy in a place like Burr Ridge, where you had a then still fairly unused hotel being used as housing. The issue being that now that um, as perhaps we will be talking about that with the COVID emergency orders yeah. being lifted and life back to normal, um, whatever that is for folks these days, <laughs> uh, but that that hotel are no longer vacant. It, it is not anymore a place that it's uh, that it is okay. You can enter some sort of agreement because you're not going to have the regular paying guests that could be serving as these sort of places. Um, so, not that I am aware of. That's not to say is particularly we are expecting to get thousands more uh, migrants coming to the area. That something along those lines could be done and perhaps should be, as Romano was saying, the lack of um, communication and planning, it seems, between city and state Mm -hmm. and uh, amongst municipalities. That's something that um, a state emergency order could do. You you have sort of what what an emergency order when it doesn't come with funding from the feds, what it does is really just gives agencies freedom to coordinate in ways without some of the red tape and bureaucracy that they would normally need to. So perhaps that's something that you could see somebody acting and trying to organize the issue being, again, it is such a political hot potato. Does somebody like Governor Pritzker really want to deal with that? The answer Probably is no. Not. Right, especially no. since he just lifted his, finally lifted his COVID executive order yeah. yesterday. I doubt he's going to be rushing into issuing a new executive order over over this crisis. Exactly. And, you know, I think the state has helped resettle some of those folks who yes. were, were staying in hotels back in the fall. Um, some of those, I'm not sure, some of those people maybe have settled into, into communities in the suburbs. But, yeah. um, you know, that's not really a long-term viable solution because, like Amanda said, there are people who, you know, those businesses need to be able to use their hotel rooms for, for guests. And, you know, there are security and other kind of complications that come along with housing people right. in, in hotels. Back now with more of the week's top stories. Chicago gets a new mayor on Monday. Now, before we turn to Brandon Johnson, I do want to reflect on Lori Lightfoot's legacy. So here's a little bit of what she said at her farewell address earlier this week. And let me tell you, my friends, the four-letter word that propelled me forward every single day of this incredible journey, one that I intoned every time that I needed to rise above the noise and the despair. (laughs) That four-letter word was spelled H-O-P-E. 
All right, folks, how about we start with some of her wins? What are the accomplishments that you think she'll be remembered for? Dan? You know, I think um, she enjoyed a lot of goodwill in the early days of the pandemic, um, much like Governor Pritzker did on the state level. You know, people really looked to them for leadership that eventually wore off pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, if you reflect on that period, what people were actually thinking at that time, um, people appreciated, by and large, her leadership, especially in that first, you know, month or two of, of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah, know, I, I think... remember being on the other side of the country and watching Chicago, right? I mean, she was... The memes were, of course, yeah. hilarious. <laughs> she was an internet star. Yeah. But it yeah. seemed to us over in D.C. like, wow, they've they've got it together over there in Chicago. Yeah, and one other thing that she did that mayors have been talking about uh, pretty much as long as I've been alive is uh, getting a casino for the city of Chicago, which obviously isn't up and running during her, her tenure, but she was the one who finally um, got it you know, at least got the ball rolling in a real way on that. For sure. Romana? Um, I, think a lot of, um, I think a lot of people in the South and West Side communities um, appreciated the fact that, you know, the Invest uh, a South and West um, project was, you know, it's not perfect, but it was, you know, she was pouring more money into those areas that have been ne- neglected historically. I mean, Alderman Tom Tunney, um, outgoing alderman tom tunney you know he was interviewed by one of one of our reporters and he was saying that that was what cost her the elections and i'm like no i don't think so you know and i think the fact that she um focused on those communities was a good thing and i also think that um the mental health facilities i think she uh one of the main projects she had was in you know implementing uh the neighborhoods with these mental health facilities and i think that's one of the pluses i think people will remember her for yeah she's leaving the city with a much lower budget deficit as well right The, the budget deficit when she came in Office was eight hundred thirty-eight million dollars. Now it's down to eighty-five million. Anything else on your mind, Amanda? Yeah, and so I think making progress on pensions, um, the, the Invest Southwest initiative is certainly is something that, um, as Dan noted, the, the casino that really is huge. Um, there were some changes when it comes to ethics, particularly, for yeah. example, restriction. You, you can't be a property tax attorney anymore and be a member of the city council. Aimed at oh wait. Alderman Ed Burke, no longer a member of the city council, but still. Um, so I, I think that th- there was um, something there. But mm-hmm. um, and you can't ignore either the, the, the historic win, first of all, the, the, as Dan mm-hmm. noted, the, the goodwill that she came in with, the fact that she um, is an openly gay mayor, the first black woman to serve in that position, mm-hmm. something that I, I think she would say um, she, she was elected, but that hindered her during her tenure, she says that that is among the reasons that she was unable to win Mm re-election because of the heat she took as a black woman, black gay woman. Well, yeah, let's turn to some of the the other challenges then that she faced, Amanda, because, I mean, this wasn't easy to... What a four years. I mean, no. it, it was also not an easy time to be the mayor of a big city, right? It was unprecedented. It was a unprecedented. Pandemic, uh, social unrest after mm-hmm. the, the police the killing George of George Floyd. Floyd. 2020 was just that year crime raising uh, crime up yeah throughout the country in large cities yes how'd she handle sure. those two historic events the pandemic and the, the social unrest i think i think the pandemic i i think that was like her high point because you know you saw those commercials and she kind of played off on you know what 
people saw her personality as being kind of like austere, telling everybody to stay home. You know, I think the only one misstep with the whole pandemic um, was, you know, when she got her hair cut. That was one of some some of the criticisms she received. After and telling everybody oh, else, right. stay yeah, home, yeah, don't yeah, do yeah, it. And yeah, even right. that, a lot of Hypocrisy people, said, people you know, don't like. Exactly. <laughs> and she's the mayor of the city. So people were saying that, you know, she has to, um, you know, have a certain appearance and so that that was such a small minor thing, but mm-hmm. I think people liked her. You know, I think she she was uh, riding pretty high on that because she was taking things and she was taking things very seriously too. Because mm-hmm. remember, there were people dying, and you know, her coming out um, at the press conferences with Dr. Awadi, I think, you know, she came off as a very strong leader. And then um, I think with the uh, George Floyd protests. Um, I think she handled it pretty well, but then we, a couple months into it, um, the, in August, uh, that was on, in May 2020, the George Floyd uh, yes. killing in the protests. And so a couple of months later, we had some more looting and uh, in August. This was uh, following a non-fatal shooting. There was some misinformation that was going on in social media. I think there was a major misstep there once she raised the bridges. Yeah, she and was a, for that. a lot of people saw that as um, okay. What are you trying to do? You're trying to keep people away from downtown, and you know, people saw that as targeting cer- certain segment of the population. So I think that 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 she came on very strong for mm. that, and I think the criticism was very, you know, I think it was apropos. But I, I understand that she was definitely. Losing points there. Losing points. I mean, I, I think it was very, because it, it, there were still issues downtown. Yes. It was. It, it wasn't as if there was any area of the city yeah, that felt it, safe and protected. For and sure. So there was. Um, again, I. I do not envy being in that position, yes. but it was certainly a, not a win for her. Uh, the selection of David Brown, uh, I think, or at least sticking with him, mm-hmm. is one that you didn't have, uh, it seems, support from residents of the city, nor from the police force and yeah. members of the CPD. Um, and other failures would include what is going on at the CTA. Uh, and mm-hmm. a, again, there are widespread challenges that are not singular to Chicago when you look at the the difficulties of hiring it for positions such as bus drivers and CTA drivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, of L trains and still it is something that hinders people that rely on those services Mm -hmm. as you're trying to get them back. Um, Frustrations with environmental racism in terms of handling of the little village uh, plant there and its implosion. So, I mean, there's a lot. And I would also say she came in promising to bring in the light and yet continued questions about a lack of transparency from the administration. What Lightfoot has said in the few interviews that she has done because she has I, I think you could hear in her farewell address the emotion which mm-hmm. I do not doubt is real both in a, a, a loss and uh, uh, the defeat but also surely very tired very frustrated right. uh, after there's all of that. that time she said that there's an anger bubble and in I, I think that that is uh, perhaps an apt way of describing what a lot of people in the city frankly, in the country, mm-hmm. are feeling. Are feeling uh, yeah. that, that is one sentiment that, again, no matter what side of some of these issues you're on, anger is, is part of it and frustration. frustration. She said that she really is somebody who was punished by that. You know, and I think I think some of her critics would also point out that anger was sometimes an issue for her yes. and her management style alienating. Yeah. And not to say Rahm Emanuel wasn't a person who knew how to get angry, and Richard Daly was not a person who knew how to get angry. Well, here's the thing, Dan. But, she says that that yes. that combative style of hers that if she were a man, she would have gotten a pass. That's on her true. Behavior. Yeah, and I, I think there is some truth to that. I think there's also times where you could see that 
other people who you know had that sort of combative style could find ways to forge relationships mm. and get things done. And she had a way of and had political power coming alienate. in, yeah. unlike yeah. she did as a first time politician, where you could use that as more of a maneuver than yeah. she was able to do. Yeah. And going back quickly to the to the pandemic and and the unrest in 2020, I think those were also well generally well regarded also times that exposed sort of her disconnect at times with Governor Pritzker and the state and not being on the same page. Mm. Um, I think in particular when it came to things like whether or not restaurants should be open for in-person service. And oh, that was like a that, confusing You know, time. there were just, they were, they would, um, you know, there was a disconnect between what people were hearing from different levels of government, government kind of like what we're seeing now yeah. with, with the migrant crisis. That's when I got here. We were on, we were off, and I was like, what's, Pritzker just said something yesterday, you're saying something tomorrow, I'm, I'm confused. Um, yeah, so lots of lots of problems with uh, her relationships with city council, Chicago Teachers Union, as we know, police union, as, as, as Amanda mentioned. We have, Oh yeah, the strike, we can't forget there was a, <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, a CTU strike. Yeah, there we go. Strike in yes. 2019. Um, and then, you know, resistance to return to the classroom, was it last year or the year before? Uh, 2021. 2020. 2021. 2021 yeah. Yes, so uh, also the tough texts to uh, her staff uh, and, and the governor, right? Do you think that she alienated enough people so that when re-election time came, they just weren't there for her? Yeah. Yeah, because I think she at least uh, I think there was at least seven allies on the city council who uh, just left, you know, did they, they weren't supporting her anymore. Mm-hmm. And that was that was like, you know, I do think it was unfair. I think likability for women leaders is is like if they're not liked or if they're not seen as likable. Um, the editorial we did, uh, there was a study that I looked up that said that if women leaders are not likable, people tend to not support them. And the projects they propose. And that's not the same thing with men. If they're seen as unlikable, people will still Doesn't go matter. on with their projects yeah. and do go along with See what they say. See it as an asset yeah. sometimes. So, so yeah, Absolutely. exactly. Yeah. So it, 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 it is a hindrance. For, but for her to say that, you know, I, I do think that was a hindrance and, and that, that there is a possibility that if she was a man, she could have been reelected. Because like, as Dan mentioned, it's not like Rahm Emanuel was this cute, cuddly, <laughs> cozy, <laughs> teddy bear. Or that, or that, you know, Mayor Daly was this like, you know. Very gentle, you know, man. Right. So, um, it, 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 I think she did raise a good point. And as Amanda said, I do think she was heartfelt uh, when she was speaking. You know, we've had meetings with her at the yeah. editorial board. She's a very thoughtful. That was very genuine. She's a very thoughtful, intelligent woman. But I do think that she rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And then when she did burn bridges, people were just like, and enough. And not willing to perhaps it. learn from lessons. Mm-hmm. I, I think that often you see that with those who rise to the executive level. You need to have a certain sort of gusto and confidence For sure. in your positions. Yeah. And yet, uh, particularly in something like this, being willing to recognize a, a mistake and move on. I, I also think she came in, as I noted, with 75% of the which is huge, mm-hmm. amazing. Yes. That is a very difficult coalition to hold on to. And she didn't have, let's say, natural constituencies. When we talk about, for example, the CTU, which we watched uh, come out in force for her uh, successor, that is something you, you see there, there's a group that they're going to stick with Johnson. Some of the things that perhaps Lightfoot uh, stumbled on, he might be forgiven for mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he is their guy. She, however, came in with such a disparate base that when you appeased one side, you were going to surely yeah. tick off the other. So it was such a delicate balance, particularly with the issues foisted upon her just because of what was happening nationally. Yeah. Yeah. But- and, you know, it. She she came in kind of and obviously a much wider margin of victory than he had, but as sort of a blank slate candidate like 
former Governor Bruce Rauner did. I, you know, people kind of saw in these figures what they wanted to see. It, with Rauner, it was the you know model of Quinn after Blagojevich, and mm-hmm. with her, it was um, you know all the scandal that was going on in the city at the time, the federal raid on Ed Burke's office and questions about Tony Prankwinkle and her ties to, to Burke. So you like and, project yes, what you want right. somebody to be because yeah. they haven't had any sort of record. Yeah, exactly. And then get mad when there is one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, let's let's work in some some comments that we're getting on YouTube here. JP says, I would say Lightfoot's legacy is that just because people voted against <clears throat> the other guy does not mean they support you and that diversity in thought is harder to live out than we think. Um, and then just reflecting on our conversation there with the social unrest back in 2020, mm-hmm. uh, JP says, uh, we on the South Side were hit hardest May 30th. Walmart's here disappeared as a result from looting in the mall at 55th and Dan Ryan could have been protected easily with garbage trucks, but weren't. So a lot of conversation there happening on YouTube as we chat about the outgoing mayor. If you're just tuning in, this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We are going behind the headlines in the weekly news recap. We've got here WTTW's Amanda Vinicky, Ramana Hussein of the Chicago Sun-Times and Dan Petrella of the Chicago Tribune. Okay, let's let's flip brains here. We're going to talk about the incoming mayor, <laughs> Brandon Johnson. So he's shaking up city council a little bit, isn't he? Yeah, he's calling this his unity plan. Uh, again, this so much just powerful phrasing, right? <laughs> a, little a little reshuffling yeah. happening yeah. here. In uh, so this is the second time that the city council has gone through this. Before the runoff election, members of the city council did their own shakeup. Yep. This is the Johnson take on it. Uh, Whether it is a unity plan, of course, depends on who you talk to, because as with everything else, there are winners and losers. The the winners in this one are the members of the city council who, no surprise, are allies of Johnson, who are now in the most powerful positions Mm -hmm. with um, Dowell, uh, Alderwoman Pat Dowell, who had been uh, an ally of Lightfoot and was one of the uh, older people who abandoned the Lightfoot ship, uh, displacing somebody who had been a Lightfoot loyalist, and that is Alderman Scott Wagusback. Uh, So you certainly see uh, this is, you could... Uh, look at this shakeup as one uh, people were frustrated perhaps with the earlier March version Mm -hmm. because it was going to be foisted upon a mayor without having any say by a city council in creating additional committees as in more power structure, but without a place to pay for it. So this cuts it back down from, I believe, 28 to 20 now positions of of chairmanships. But again, what, what, what really the takeaway is, is that Johnson allies are going to be in the top places you could have i think some people say that's as it should be you have a mayor and you want a city council to get along to be able to work in tandem others would say hey wait a second this is the whole issue with chicago politics (laughs) in the first place right it is supposed supposed to be an independent legislative body that the the mayor should have more of a hands-off approach to and that is how you're going to see real change is by uh, members of the city council embracing that power outside of the mayor (laughs) get out of here well, with that in mind, I mean, Johnson's, of course, putting his own stamp on city council leadership. But Dan and, and Ramana, I mean, could this cause a similar kind of animosity that Lightfoot had with the I, group? I think he's going to I think he's if Brandon Johnson and his advisors are smart, they're going to look at what happened with Lightfoot and realize they're going to have to make some sort of um, concessions. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to cooperate with people who might not necessarily think 
polit- you know, think the same politically. But, you know, I know there's like this whole like everybody's like, oh, God, the socialists are taking over, the socialist progressives taking over. I mean, I, I, I think what's happening is what we've seen over and over again, as Amanda is saying, like, did is anybody really shocked that Brandon Johnson <laughs> is putting his allies as, you know, the Not head of the chairman? Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. And that's what was expected. I think I just think that he needs to be a little smarter in terms of not burning the bridges and you know there are going to make he's not going to you know a lot of people who like were his staunch supporters he's not going to necessarily deliver on all the promises either but he's going to have to make some compromises and just learn you know i think just seeing Lori Lightfoot and, you know, the bridges she burned, he has to realize that, you know, he has to keep. Especially somebody sure. new to this office. Yes. I will say that on um, Chicago Tonight, we interviewed Alderman Wagusback actually on the program last night, and he was clearly frustrated and saw this as, yes, punishment. Uh, but I also interviewed another person who had uh, aligned themselves with Lightfoot's uh, opponent, and that is uh, Paul Vallis, of course. Mm-hmm. And so Alderman Walter Burnett Jr. said, well, hey, Johnson just appointed me to be the vice mayor. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, a lot of Vallis appointees. <laughs> yeah. get, well, whatever that means, though, right. a vice mayor position. Like, what is that? Sounds though? good. Right. I, nobody has but an answer to that. Is there that a is not mayor? a committee chairmanship. A I don't think it comes position? with additional I've never money. Yeah. 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 Well, before we take a pause, uh, the inauguration, as I mentioned, is Monday, Romana. Yep. It's open to the public. Yeah, right? it's open to the public. Um, as far as I know, I checked online yesterday. You could go online and get tickets. It's going to be, I believe, at uh, UIC. Um, and uh, tickets yeah. were available last time I checked. Uh, this was yesterday. I would All think the free that tickets have, the free have been tickets. claimed. Oh, they have been They've claimed? They've been claimed. Oh, okay. so th- there's a wait list now, I'm oh, hearing. Oh, Breaking so news. There's going <laughs> go- <laughs> to be a right here. Breaking news. <laughs> yeah. So Brandon Johnson knows he'll have a full house. We continue now with more of the weekly news recap. Let's turn to state politics, Amanda, a former Illinois senator who was released from prison last month. He's found an interesting new job. Now, this is something that our WBEZ colleague Dan Mahalopoulos uncovered. Fill us in. Well, and so this is a man, so Tom Collerton, as you noted, and he had gone to prison for embezzling money from a uh, labor union. And really what it was was that he was getting paid for not doing any work, which is, of course, interesting when you then go and turn around and get a job right away out of prison, which is something that many um, of those who have been incarcerated experience great difficulty with when it is not that sort of white collar crime. So um, he's going to be working really as as a lobbyist, going back to Springfield. <laughs> Field. Uh, he certainly knows the drill, knows the ins and outs, um, has a lot of relationships. He is not alone in being a legislator to go through the revolving door of serving in the General Assembly and then uh, going to try and twist arms of their former peers for votes. It is, uh, of course, less common for somebody who has been in prison, albeit, as he would tell you, this was not in connection mm-hmm. with his public service. It was a crime. I guess somewhat related because generally you probably aren't going to get paid for not showing up at a job unless you are somebody that holds some sort of power. So and chairmanship of the Senate Labor yeah, there Committee. There we go. So, the so there's a connection. Um, I will say that. So he's working for a firm that um, does also, in addition to lobbying, crisis communications. So um, that was what the head of this wow. firm had said: is that everybody deserves a second chance, and certainly um, this is an example of, of a crisis that one. 
can give yeah. APR response to. Well, well, they that, handled his crisis communications after he was indicted back in uh, 2019 oh, as well. Yes, mm. they did. All right. Well, sticking with you here, Dan, because I, I want to shuffle to another story here. Former Governor Pat Quinn back in the news calling for a special session in Springfield to deal with ethics reforms. Yes. And it's actually a great segue because one of the issues that that exposes is this revolving door problem, which um, talking to good government groups, you know, the they Illinois now Illinois, know yes. there. Illinois yeah. now has has a revolving door uh, pro- prohibition that just took effect for legislators for the first time with the start of this new general assembly and it is according to some people I've talked to quote unquote pathetically weak mm. um, but anyway Governor Quinn was down there um, doing what former Governor Quinn does which is um, you know um, carrying the mantle of government reform and uh, calling for a constitutional amendment that would allow uh, ballot initiatives to let people um, Tighten the government's ethics laws because yeah. state legislators aren't going to do it themselves. They've showed time after time, although the problem is they're the only ones who could put that question about the mm-hmm. amendment on the ballot. Um, the idea of a special session was met with um, skepticism, I guess would be the nicest thing to say about it, by Governor Pritzker, who pointed out that the legislature is still in People session in fans. Springfield uh, and have time to take up this issue. But the Democrats in power in Springfield have shown several times over the last few years since these federal raids started that they're not... Um, really interested in doing what these good government groups say are the best practices. And for they haven't been punished at the ballot box for not doing not so. Not at yeah. all. Despite, one has to say, this is, um, I, I think, probably aligned less with um, a, a, a one particular party having the claim on ethics than it is Democrats are the ones in power. But yep. it is all Democrats who yeah. are the ones Correct. that are having troubles with the law. So... Wow. People aren't as eager to try and sway people who are in the super minority in the legislature because exactly. they can't get their own bills passed, let alone a bill that a lobbyist wants them <laughs> to get passed. Romana, let's look at uh, what else ha- is happening here in, in Springfield this week. The Illinois legislator passed uh, a bill that's going to change how history's taught. Yep. Explain that. Yep. So uh, the I think it was the Senate that just passed that uh, Native American History is going to be taught to elementary and high school students in Illinois, which I think is a great thing. I don't know about you, Amanda and Dan, because you guys are probably younger than me. But growing up, I don't remember ever learning that much about Native American history. I remember in kindergarten, like during Thanksgiving, some of us would dress up like pilgrims and mm. other people would be dressed up like Native Americans. I think, well, I was I think pil- that's the problem. Not much has changed. No, I mean, no, no. You and might I might have the I, similar I, memories. No, and I was a I was a pilgrim, I think. And I remember uh, just I, I, I was born in the 70s. And I remember um, when we first moved into the suburbs out of Chicago, um, our neighbors were great neighbors. And their son was I mean, the grandson was waiting and he put his hand up like John Wayne and said how to us because he heard that we're an Indian family coming in. Oh. And and then my high school. Our, our mascot was actually an Indian uh, growing up, and I remember there's Native American groups that came and told us why it was offensive, and at that time, the school mascot has since changed, but at that time, nobody thought of it as being offensive, and yeah. we are wrestling... Uh, if you were a good wrestler for the week, you were called uh, the Savage of the Week, and they had a caricature of a Native American holding wow. an axe. So there, and this is just, you know, I mean, it's been years since I've been in high school, but it's like we didn't even talk about that. We had a mascot, someone dressed up as a Native American doing dances at football games. And, well, thank goodness for progress. Yes, exactly. So I think this is, I mean, it's it's 2023, and we're we're finally doing this. I think this is a great thing, and and you know, it's not just learning about Pocahontas; it's learning about how Native Americans really affected, you know, our economic, cultural, and social and political development yeah. in, in this country. We'll just, I, I think it's great. I think uh, students are going to learn more about 
just all these Native Americans that I never learned about. And I think Mm -hmm. I hope, you know, adults kind of use this as an opportunity to learn as well. And it's the latest in the line of several steps to increase the diversity of the history that's taught in our schools. Asian American history is now required. LGBTQ history. Uh, they've made more robust requirements for black history. Um, so it's the the legislature and the governor have really made an effort to expand what is being taught in history You, you touched on this earlier, Dan, but the, the COVID health emergency officially is coming to an end here, uh, thanks to Governor Pritzker. Uh, he's approved full disability benefits for police officers and firefighters who caught the virus. Yes. Um, this was an effort that was pushed by uh, State Comptroller Susana Mendoza, whose brother, uh, Joaquin Mendoza, is a Chicago police officer who got COVID, um, he believes, on the job early in the pandemic before the vaccines existed um, and under rulings from the city's pension board was not able to get full um, duty disability benefits, which is like 75 percent, I believe, of your normal salary, Mm -hmm. um, was getting only 50 percent. And they basically said, well, you can't prove you got it on the job, so you're out of luck, essentially. Um, And the, the counter part of that is that it had been approved that if you died from COVID, it was presumed that you caught it on the job and your your surviving um, beneficiaries could get the, the larger benefit. So Comptroller Mendoza was advocating for this very strongly, not just on behalf of her brother, but other uh, officers and, and I will firefighters. I add briefly yeah. that this, I think, was another sort of final nail in the coffin, perhaps, for Lightfoot, because this really came out right before the um, the initial election w- in which Lightfoot placed third. Mm-hmm. And it certainly was something that Mendoza was very publicly against Lightfoot for not doing something about. Uh, Mendoza says emphatically that this was not uh, anything about elections and the timing is unconnected. And yet, certainly, it is something that I am guessing um, there is going to be no love lost for a very long time <laughs> and for political and reasons she took between a parting, Lightfoot and yeah. yes, it was it was definitely a parting punch. And yeah, she took yeah. a parting shot at the bill signing ceremony at at Lori Lightfoot. Yes. Yeah. So. All right, let's let's jump ahead here because you, you don't often get good news, and I want to make sure we squeeze in some good news. Uh, this one has to do with medical bills. Okay, so some seventy three thousand Chicago residents. Wait, when is that a sentence? Right? Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Good good news yeah. about medical bills. Yeah. Yes, some seventy three thousand Cook County residents just got that this week. Quickly fill us in, Romana. Yeah, so as part of the American Rescue Plan in partnership with RIP Medical Debt, uh, they're going to be forgiving uh, about nearly $80 million uh, in medical bills for Illinois residents. And uh, I think it's a good thing. Um, You know, one of the things we're talking about is the pandemic. I mean, during the pandemic, so many people lost their jobs, their livelihoods, and Mm -hmm. uh, just a lot of people struggling out there. So I think it's it's good news for, you know, which is something, we, as you mentioned, Sasha, we rarely hear. And Amanda, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is uh, heading to Peoria tonight. What is that about? Yeah, so the political saying goes, what plays so in back. Peoria, dot, 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 <laughs> yeah. right? And so um, it, it really, that that is um, playing well, presumably, in Peoria. He's being brought here in part by um, a Congressman Darren LaHood. And uh, this is comes after, several months after a stop I covered where he went to Elmhurst and made a big speech. Each there. Clearly, this is part of, although he's not a declared candidate, part of his attempt to ascend to the presidency of the United States. Mm-hmm. The Democrats who control all of Illinois government are not taking this sitting down. We've had constant press releases and pushback where they say that he is too extreme for Illinois. So, um, and that, Governor Pritzker is not exactly rolling out the welcome mat either. No, is he? no, not a big no fan. certainly not. <laughs> Accusing DeSantis of inciting malice. And really, you have two states that are going in the exact opposite trajectory. When you look at everything 
everything from abortion to book bans. And that is very clear, sort of the, the this um, chasm of the country is going to be on full display with DeSantis's visit this evening. All right. I've been waiting for this one. Many <laughs> of us have been enjoying the sunshine this week, and that includes the city's wildlife. Now, there's a video that's gone viral of kayakers surprised by who they saw sunning on the banks of the Chicago River. Let's listen. Oh, my God. That's a massive turtle. Is that a snapper? He's a snapper. That's a a Chicago River snapper. (laughs) That's a Chicago River snapper. That's my my Chicago accent. I love it. I love Um, it. Yeah. So folks watching us right now on Facebook and YouTube are seeing this picture here. This is a what what was what was his name? Chonkasaurus. Chonkasaurus was 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 the name. Uh, We would like to share more of the hilarious commentary from folks, but some of the language was a bit too (laughs) colorful for public radio. Uh, Botanist Joe Santori, who you, you may have guessed is from Chicago. He went on to tweet, great to see this beast thriving here on what was once such a toxic river, but is slowly getting cleaned up and restored. I mean, we couldn't agree more, Joey, more but I mean, news. what would you what would you all think if you, you saw this guy? I would <laughs> He's steer a big clear. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you say? I would steer clear. You would steer, I mean, he's massive. He looks like he needs more sun. Is it a he or she? I read it. I heard, it's that was what I was going to say. How do they know? To me, to be so not fair, but I I heard it was a she, and, and a she? she might be pregnant. That's yeah. That's oh. what I had, her, uh, had read oh, as so well. More little babies. More oh. little babies. Lord, I thought Chonkasaurus was a boy. Chonkasaurus <laughs> Jr. I, I, I would like not want to be called Chonkasaurus. Yeah, I know. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's not a nice name. No, no. Oh, but I guess thing. when you're a turtle, you don't know our cat. Yeah. <laughs> apparently the turtle is like 40 or 50 years old. And I was like, how do they figure out the age? Oh, really? That old? Yeah. Yeah. They said it's an older turtle. And Rings so on the shell. Like, yeah. yeah, I was like, I how do they how do they figure Feels that like out? Is it by size? Or? Feels like ageism. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> for by sure. size, no. <laughs> but it really is. I mean, I, to to get back to sort of the news bit, it, it does show the turnaround of the river. A lot of effort and work mm-hmm. has been put into that. Can you? Yeah. I still don't know if I'm up for kayaking. That is nothing to disparage the river. That is yeah. more on um, my muscles and lack of kayaking. <laughs> <laughs> but especially if I saw something like that, yeah. tip over. <laughs> well, anyway, I had I had Incredible. to throw that in there. We'll. we'll leave it there for this week. That's the weekly news recap. My thanks to WTTW's Amanda Vinicky, Romana Hussein of the Chicago Sun-Times, and Dan Petrella of the Chicago Tribune. Thank you all. Thank Have a good you. weekend. Thank you. This episode of Reset was produced by Andrea Guthman, and it was edited by Andrew Merriweather and Dan Tucker. Tune in tomorrow for our bonus episode where you can hear from three Chicago bakers who just finished a stint on the Great American Baking Show. It's a really fun conversation that you don't want to miss. That's all for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Talk to you tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.